0: Ed 8, opening bell, less than a half an hour away. This is CBS News.
1: These days, better nutrition and stronger immunity are essential. That's why Eggland's Best gives you and your family more, so we can all be at our very best. Only Eggland's Best. I'm Dr. Stork. Today, better nutrition and stronger immunity are essential. That's why Eggland's Best gives you and your family more. Compared to ordinary eggs, Eggland's Best provides six times more vitamin D, 10 times more vitamin E, and 38% more lutein, plus more folate and iodine too. All to help you maintain a strong immune system and better overall health. These are no ordinary times. So why choose an ordinary egg? Only Eggland's Best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. It's time for an upgrade, beneath your feet, with beautiful, durable new carpet from the Home Depot. And right now, free installation. Choose from a wide selection of styles, order samples, schedule the measure and installation, all online. It's never been easier to have carpet you love, right where you live. For new carpet and free installation, only from the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Free installation on carpet $4.99 or more, and $0.99 or order square foot, US only.
0: A pregnant woman in Florida made a pit stop to vote on
1: the way to the hospital. Orange County elections worker Karen Brasenio gonzalez says the man waited patiently in her line, then asked her for a ballot for his wife. Mama well, we need her here, and he basically told me oh, that's going to be a problem. Because she was in the car in labor, but wanting to make sure she voted before going to the hospital. Brasenio says she went to the car, ballot in hand. The woman voted. I gave her, I voted sticker and she was on her way to the hospital. She says the woman was thrilled. Now Brasenio says she and her co-workers want to give her a baby gift, a onesie with the words first vote. Peter King, CBS News Orlando.
0: Police have ordered a woman in Richmond, Texas to take down a Halloween display in her front yard that has a skeleton perched on a stripper pole and skeletal patrons getting lap dances. Angela Navas says she wanted to bring joy during the pandemic. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News.
1: Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help. You may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to MetaShare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for health care right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of COBRA plans, MediShare has a special offer and a lot of people are taking advantage of it. Simply apply by October 30th and you will waive your new member fee, that's $170 savings. And of course that's just a start, the typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. Metashare is a Christian community that has shared over $4 billion in medical bills and it's worth for decades, I'll give you a number here in a second and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is. Call 866-88-BIBLE. That's 866-88-BIBLE. 866-88-BIBLE. The Athens Messenger provides interesting local news, keeps you entertained and informed, but what else? It empowers you by providing information to make the best possible decisions about life, community, and government issues.
0: It supports democracy by providing facts to make informed decisions and keeps transparency in our community.
2: It keeps the First Amendment alive.
1: The Athens Messenger, your local trusted news source. Not a subscriber? Visit our website at AthensMessenger.com or call 740-592-6612, extension 1, to subscribe integrated services uh, is constantly seeking partnerships how can i have a meaningful relationship with primary care providers so that we can take care of our shared community of people that need support we've grown exponentially and i really see the next five to ten years being a similar story the opportunities are endless in our seventy-first year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM nine seventy, and ninety-seven point
0: one FM.
3: Oh, what a glorious looking day outside! It is beautiful. We can wear our sun suits and all that stuff. right. Hey, we do have some important information to share today. Tom Pyle, our police chief for the city of Athens, joins us. And at kind of an itchy time, I might say. Itchy meaning... um, the annual Halloween celebration that has taken place up down for many years. It's not supposed to happen But uh, that'll be one of the points, but uh, there's many others, and we're just going to talk about uh, the police department and everything like that. So uh, good morning, Tom. Good morning, sir. How are you? Welcome. I'm fine. Listen. That's uh, before we get going, because it's been some time since you were last on the air. Um, tell us a little bio
4: on yourself.
3: Where do you, where were you raised?
4: Oh well, I'm a, a lifelong Athens County native. I was born in Nelsonville, uh, raised in Albany, uh, went to Alexander High School uh, or Alexander Schools. Uh, graduated. Went to Hocking Technical College in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my associate's degree in police science. I got hired at the police department in 1989, second generation law enforcement. You know, my father, uh, uh, God rest his soul, was uh, um, a police officer for Ohio University uh, Police Department um, for 25, 26 years. And then, um, so I started at the department in 89. I was promoted to Lieutenant in 94, Captain of Police in 2004, and Chief of Police in 2011.
3: Well, you've worked it right up, haven't you?
4: I sure have. Yeah, it'll be thirty-two years in
3: March. In the second generation in the family. Yeah. The um, mercy. Uh, there have been so many changes during this period of time that you're mm-hmm. covering, and um, that's that's um, Scott. By the way, my sound in my headphones is different. Am I listening to air or am I listening to program? You know? Can you Sorry. look up here? Um, anyway, so, um, recent events, um, what, what is, uh, the biggest concern you have, uh, and, and, and let's skip Halloween at the moment. What are the things that most concern you about keeping your police station running
4: great? Uh, I think probably, uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is keeping the spirits of our officers up to the extent that we can. You know, policing is not a very popular profession in certain sections of uh, um, the, 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 uh, our culture and society right now. And and that seems to have a pretty negative impact on the morale of the officers. Um, they tend to, uh, and I'm guilty of it too, uh, um, we tend to focus on the negative criticism and, uh, uh, and kind of get down uh, that, that there are people out in the communities that dislike what we're doing, or dislike the the nature of the job, or dislike a specific component of a response, and that kind of thing. And and uh, it's it's probably the worst. It, I would say probably it is absolutely the worst that I've I've ever seen in my entire career. Uh, and you know I policed through the era uh, that the Rodney King incident had happened, and uh, and and and. And, and incidents like that, but this is by and far the, the absolute worst that uh, that I've ever seen. And so I think it's been a, um, an uphill battle to keep the morale of uh, the, the officers who really just want to serve the community and do good work uh, to keep it up. Yeah. Um,
3: so let's, let's uh, first of all do some, Well, um, oh, I don't know, educational safety reminders, that sort of thing for the general public. From a police point of view, what are some things that you would say to our audience about uh, common sense and uh, don't do this, don't do that don't you know that sort of thing
4: well it's that's a that's a tough one these days uh because we we now have the added issue of of the pandemic that we've been dealing with, and so right. there's there's social distancing rules that are in place there's masking ordinances and and rules that are in place and uh, there's a lot of focus on reducing the spread of, of COVID-19, uh, and so um, we could start there. And you know, say, you know, I would say, by and large, uh, my assessment and the officers' assessment uh, from the department are that that uh, our community and uh, they've been doing a, a uh, rising to the occasion and doing a good job. Though I understand that there were people in the community that would criticize the the gatherings and and whatnot that they've witnessed but, but um... But, but our officers are seeing the behavior twenty four seven whereas some folks in the community are only seeing behavior at a certain point in time and, and i think overall on the average our assessment would be that, that students are are rising to the occasion and by and large are doing what they've been asked to do um, there are exceptions obviously so. Um, but uh, there's but exceptions.
3: Sort of to there, so, go ahead, Tom. There's exceptions even at the um, non student
4: side, though. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And we've we've been challenged with those things. You know, we've had people who are adamantly anti-mask uh, show up at businesses and and uh, retail stores in town and and try to you know take up a, a political stand for lack of a better uh, description. and, mm-hmm. and and things like that, and we've had to navigate through these things. And I, I constantly remind people uh, when they call to complain that that this is all new for everyone. It's new for our community. It's new for the nation. It's new for the state of Ohio, and so it's certainly new for law enforcement in how best to enforce uh, these new director of health orders and things like that. And uh, and we're uh, my. I, you know, over the years, I've learned that these things tend to find their own equilibrium. and and so we've been letting that happen to the extent that we can. and uh, and we've been really focused on educating people, not necessarily taking a harsh enforcement stance. and and I really think in our kind of community, that's what people would expect of us. Um, now I'm not saying there aren't people that are calling for, you know, uh, arrests and citations to be issued and, and people are asked us to make examples of of uh, those who violate rules and things like that. And that's odd because uh, you know a few years ago we would not have been asked to do things like that. So it's kind oh. of an upside down world uh, right now.
3: It's different.
4: Yeah. yeah
3: my, it's a lot my, of my wife went into a grocery store the other day and uh, she doesn't get around real well so she uses one of those motorized carts, right? Right. And um, she was just getting seated, and then realized she didn't have her mask. And a guy who was exiting the store absolutely read her the riot act. Yeah. And And uh, you know, there was a she was going to buy a new mask just a couple feet away in the rack there. Uh, they sell them often at the entrance to stores, but uh, it, it was it was um, I. I understand his point, but I think he was out of line.
4: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think there's a presumption a lot of times in situations like that that the person should be wearing a mask, that they're not exempt for medical or other reasons, and that mm-hmm. they should be wearing a mask. And and then they're uh, you know subject to those kind of, of confrontations and criticisms. And I, I think there's a couple things that that I'd like to see. I don't know, you know, if some entrepreneurial person would would be willing to work on this. And I think there's money to be made, quite frankly, if if there's somebody who can invent a mask that doesn't, uh, when you wear it properly, it doesn't fog up a person's glasses. You know, I'm I have that problem. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of us do. And you no. know, I have the the old age eyes, and and so I have to wear glasses pretty much full time now. And, mm-hmm and uh i can't go anywhere without my glasses (laughs) fogging up and uh, it's annoying and just you know you have to deal with it but then i would say the other thing is is we we maybe could come up with some way to identify those uh in a a um, non-threatening way to the person uh, to say that they do have some kind of medical condition that would prevent them or preclude them from wearing a mask maybe not something that's too much too, too informative to the public but just something that, that says hey, here's a person that shouldn't be wearing a mask and so when you see them you can readily identify them and I don't know what that is and I don't even know if that's possible but it would be nice so that those those folks would not be subjected to confrontation when they're out in public
3: There was um, um, a young woman the other day who we were both entering the store at the same time and the you, I could just hear her under her breath say, oh, shucks, meaning she had forgotten her mask, right? Right, right. And I just grabbed one out of the bin and said, here,
4: my treat. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, That's, we've actually been doing that at the police department. You know, when, it's rare that we're getting complaints uh, on the mask ordinance violations. Um, it is a complaint-based system, and so our officers are... We, we, we try to educate when we have the time if we see a group of people and they're not in masks and we have the time to get out and and, and you know, offer them a mask. Yeah. Typically what our officers are doing is walking up with a box of disposable masks and saying, here we have mask ordinance, why don't you put one of these on? Uh, and, you know, they have brief conversations and they're very cordial and they're they're informative and life goes on. But That's, that's not happening to the extent I think some people would like to see it, but, um, you know, our resources are limited and... Yeah. So, um, but when we do get complaints, that's basically the, the, the first thing we do is we have a box of masks in hand and we walked up to address the complaint. Now, what we're finding is uh, majority of the time when we get a complaint, it's well after the observation. And when we finally do arrive to address it, the people who were there without masks have long gone. You know,
3: so Our guest today is Tom Pyle. He is the city police chief. Now. Uh, Tom, during my many years on city council and stuff like that, um, you, uh, the police department produced an annual report where it statistically mentioned. They had this many kind of runs uh, responding to alarms or this right. many that were uh, speed-related or traffic-related and so on. Can you give us um, a thumbnail sketch, anyway, of, of uh, the current activity?
4: Well, um, I would say the, the first thing that comes to mind is that the theft you know, in the city uh, remains, has been for 20 years, uh, maybe maybe longer, maybe in perpetuity, quite frankly. Uh, theft has been one of our, our number one uh, complaints, and it remains uh, the number one complaint. Right now, because of uh, the pandemic, our numbers are, are significantly down, our calls for service, our, our reportable uh, crimes are down uh... but that has to do with um, you know citizen volume and and the fact that there are less people in town, although that is swinging back the other way, slowly but surely. Um, but certainly, our numbers are down. But even with lower numbers, the the ratios are about the same. Theft is uh, pretty much the number one crime we deal with. and then uh, by by a large margin by probably twofold over vandalism, burglary, assault, things like that. And when we have, uh, typical um, uh, type 2 crime in a, in a college town which is you know order maintenance kind of things uh, alcohol a lot of alcohol violations, um, you know drunken disorderly fights that kind of thing in the downtown area but not a lot of type 1 crime, which is well relatively speaking, um, which is your homicide, kidnapping, things like that the, the much more violent uh, reportable crime. so those things, do happen. They're very random and very rare, in my opinion.
3: Okay. Um, you know, in the case of a fire department, you have uh, oh, false alarms or, or runs that don't necessarily result in having to take any action. Um, sure. The police would have some of that too. Is is that a major item?
4: Um, most of the the. the we do get false alarm calls uh, somewhere between two hundred and fifty and four hundred a year. They're burglary alarms and okay. you know emotional alarms and things like that. Uh, as far as just unfounded type complaints where somebody calls a complaint, we arrive and it's it, it didn't happen the way it was described. That's not It doesn't happen that often. It does happen. I, I, I don't know what the ratio would be. But I'd say it's probably less than ten percent of the time do we arrive and there isn't something going on that we need to address in some way. Um now there's there's sometimes when calls get called in as let's say a domestic violence situation and we get there and we find out that the under the legal definition um, for domestic violence enforcement it, it doesn't quite fit. For for instance, the the two people arguing don't live together or they don't have family together, that kind of thing. And so in that instance, it would just be a fight, or if there was physical confrontation, it would be an assault, but not a domestic violence situation. And then sometimes just the opposite happens. Sometimes things are called in as assault, and we get there. It turns out it's more of a domestic violence situation because of the legal nuances. And so, um, But but very rarely do we get a call where something's going on, and we get there, and something isn't going on or hasn't happened, and then has cleared off. And so.
3: Well let's 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 talk about the department itself. So um the manpower, um how it's staffed, um yeah. that sort of thing. So um first of all I would ask you um how does our staffing compare with cities of similar
4: size? Uh yeah, it's it's we have a lower staffing uh threshold than than other cities. Uh, our size that's that's always been true but um uh that's you know that's a, a, an economic issue it's it's not a an efficiency issue it's more of an economic issue I assure you I have always believed that council and city administrations would like uh to have larger police and fire departments if they could uh, fund them but the the funding is 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 what prevents that from happening
3: uh now you know. you know we have to admit of course the university has its own police department. correct yeah and correct. uh if if that didn't exist uh, we i think the city would have a requirement to be larger right yeah I, I
4: agree yeah i agree i agree but it does exist and so that that definitely is is a, uh, a factor though i would tell you that uh still um you know the the fact that they do exist doesn't it, it only precludes us from having a department twice the size of what we we currently have right. um, but it, it 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 doesn't preclude that the fact that they exist doesn't preclude us from having three or four or five or six more officers it's it's specifically the economics of it and 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 I I firmly believe that and and so if the city had money if we were you know economic windfall if 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 you know if income taxes or I'm not I'm sorry um, yeah income tax rose and and our fees rose and we could afford to hire more officers, we absolutely would.
3: Now, uh, chief is the top post uh, under your organization. Uh, there are, I assume, captains and lieutenants and things like that. Can you verify yeah. that?
4: Yeah, so we have one captain and that person serves as the uh, basically the XO or the executive officer for the department. So uh, the chief would be more of the vision establishment, you know, guiding principles kind of thing, and, and which is what I do. and 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 then the captain is more the operations person and okay. that would be the person that takes the vision and goes and establishes the vision operationally through uh, through his direct reportees which are lieutenants we have 6 currently 6 lieutenants uh, 6 lieutenants right and, and and that's one more than we had this time last year okay. uh, but we we increased the numbers because uh, yeah you may know this but I'm currently serving two roles I'm also working out of City Hall uh, serving as the mayor's interim service Safety director while uh, director stone is overseas uh, deployed with the National Guard and so in doing that I've been spending predominantly the majority of my time in City Hall doing service safety director operations and the captain is is functioning as the department head uh, currently at the police department and so we promoted a temporarily an additional lieutenant uh, to um, uh, to serve so that he could have someone serve as his executive officer while I was serving for the mayor of Ridge City Hall. Uh, that'll continue until probably June or July of of 2021, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll return to the department. We'll go ahead and keep that uh, sixth lieutenant until there is a retirement, uh, and that could be me. That could be the captain. There are, are also a couple other lieutenants who could retire or are of retirement age. So. We'll keep that configuration until somebody retires, and then we will drop back down to five lieutenants.
3: Now, um, otherwise, the total complement, what, what's the number for the total uh, personnel?
4: Yeah, I believe we are currently uh, authorized uh, full staffing for 26, 26. Uh, full-time employees, sworn employees. And so that would be myself, the captain, the six lieutenants, and uh, 19
3: so at any given moment, there are X number of officers plus a lieutenant on duty.
4: Uh, typically, we we try to schedule uh, one lieutenant and three officers on every shift. Okay.
3: A uh, shift is, is to uh, what, are we talking 12 hours, or are we talking eight, or are we talking 16, what?
4: Yeah, so currently we're in a 12-hour rotation, and we started that about three years ago, if I recall correctly. And i got to tell you, our staff absolutely love it, and I love it. Um, it functions well for our full-time staff. Everybody gets every other weekend off, uh, regardless of whether they're on the day shift rotation or the night shift rotation. Uh, mm-hmm. The shifts are 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, and, and I tell you, it works great. Uh, it's cut down on our overtime expenditures. Uh, it's reduced that.
3: So if they're on 12, how many are they off
4: next? They're, they're on 12, off 12. Okay. Uh, and so they work 12. either two shifts in a row or three shifts in a row. I get it. Yeah.
3: Well, that's that's cool. What, yeah. um, <clears throat> let's see here. Wait, but let's see, the next point uh, you already answered, which is, if OU didn't have their own police department, what would you be? And you'd be twice what you are, right?
4: Yeah, roughly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't say we'd be 52, but we'd be in the 40s for sure. Yeah, what about absolutely. cooperation? Yeah, like it would have a,
3: cooperation well, between the two departments now well it's fantastic yeah. uh, um they you know of course they're gonna focus on campus activity of course you're gonna of course you're gonna focus on uh, city activity right but um you both help one another out right
4: absolutely pretty much every day yeah, I would call us uh, brother or sister agencies whatever term you want to use mm-hmm. um, I've referred to them as a sister agency for years and uh Obviously, I have you know history there because my that that was my father's agency and and there was a brief period of time where he and I got to work together I at Athens and he at o u before he retired and so I have you know
3: why do um, I not remember this?
4: Yeah, it's been a long time ago that's why it was over thirty years See, ago
3: now, ted um, oh ted Jones Ted Jones, right, right. He was the right. city police department and then he went over right. and became the university's chief. that's correct, yeah. And your father was
4: after that? Uh no, he was he was he served that whole time uh with um
3: But I mean as um, a chief. Or maybe well, I, I misunderstood.
4: Yeah, my dad uh the, the, he actually was a lieutenant okay. retired as a I lieutenant over to you. Okay. Yeah.
3: Well anyway. Um so this okay, let's talk about equipment. Um the you know when you talk to the fire department they have pumpers they got ladders they got
4: yeah but 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 okay
3: um, I think it's probably a little simpler but maybe
4: not yeah it's a lot simpler no it's a lot simpler
3: <laughs> okay so how yeah, many vehicles uh, do you have
4: so we have uh, I believe seven marked vehicles okay. I mean seven you know. Vehicles that say Athens Police on it in some way with our emblem and lights and siren and that kind now, of
3: thing. Now, is there a need for some to be cruisers and some to be uh, more off-roady?
4: Well, we, we actually prefer the all-wheel drive uh, police uh, utility vehicles, which is a the model that Ford puts out. Sort of, uh, SUV-like. very ruggedly built. They handle our brick streets a lot better, <laughs> uh, and, and, and they handle winter weather a lot better. Um, and so, uh, but they, they get great gas mileage mm-hmm. and they're, because they're rugged built, they last a lot longer. We, we had a period of time where we were in a uh, different, uh, um, manufacturer's vehicle and they just weren't purpose built and the transmissions would not last. And so, um, we typically put between 80 and 120,000 miles on a cruiser before we retire. it. Now that wasn't always the case, but that's, that's what we've been doing the last, I'd say 15 years uh, on the replacement schedule. And so we just weren't getting the transmissions to last from that other manufacturer. And then Ford put out this uh, utility uh, model some years ago, and and they have been very rugged. Uh, and, and so, and plus, they're taller vehicles than the sedans, and so you can see better. There's a better uh, observational point for our staff. Um, mm-hmm. There's better rear view angles and things like that. So um, they seem to be industry standard now, and certainly we like them around here. And they come all-wheel drive. So
3: a, p- a police cruiser, uh, besides carrying the officer and um, uh, some electronics and so on, what kind of equipment do they carry on board
4: typically? Yeah. So so all of our vehicles are equipped with uh, DAPA radar units so that we can detect speed when we're doing speed enforcement or traffic enforcement. Um, they all have the you know, typical police radios and uh, consoles, the lights and the light like, control systems and that kind of thing. Then they all have uh, prisoner security areas that are, are ruggedized and they're basically all molded plastic so that if there are bodily fluids that that get transferred, as you can imagine, in a college town where, where there's a lot of alcohol consumption, then... Some drunk people tend to lose body fluids uh once in a while and so uh we we kind of armor our prisoner security areas against those things so they can be cleaned rapidly and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And then in the rear there's uh considerable equipment that we would deploy for like traffic accidents. There's road flares, cones, things like that. Um but probably the the, the thing we use the most in as far as equipment in the vehicle is the uh medic response. Uh, bags. We get a lot of calls to assist the EMS calls in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, we're first responders to uh, medical emergencies, um, and we so we carry AEDs, uh, defibrillators in the car, and use them pretty regularly. Um, uh, bandages and whatnot for people that you right. know get right. angry and punch out a plate glass window and slice their wrist open, that kind of thing. And then we also all the officers carry a Narcan. And uh, fortunately, in our community, we don't have to use it that often. We do use it. Um, it's uh, typically the nose spray. And Narcan is the, um, the antidepressant um, um, drug that can bring people who are overdosing on heroin or fentanyl, that kind of thing, uh, out of their uh, respiratory failure. And uh, so we use that.
3: Now, equipment at the station. So some, I guess I'm talking about... Um... Okay, you come across some uh, terrible case, so fingerprints and all that sort of thing. Um, I assume you have some equipment at the station that is to help me
4: help me well um, we have we have equipment to help collect that kind of evidence, but the the analysis of that evidence is basically. Uh, I want to say contracted out. The state of Ohio provides it as a service through the Bureau of Criminal Investigation and Identification. And so we typically ship off our collected evidence for DNA analysis, fingerprint analysis, handwriting sampling, stuff like that, goes to B C. I and uh then we get a report on it and and then they even send their um, analysts down to Athens County. If we go to trial on a piece right. of with a piece of evidence, they right. will send somebody to testify as to the veracity and 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 whatnot of the evidence. So,
3: so you uh, know, uh, is there some piece of equipment uh, or several even that uh, you really wish your department had, but you don't yet? Uh,
4: the the there's there's something that we're, that's hot off the press, I can tell you about, and then there's something we actually just got uh, about a year ago this time.
3: Okay. Uh, what we got a year
4: ago were the body-worn cameras. Uh, oh, yes. We got that for all officers. So every officer has a, except for me, uh, because I just don't work the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, every officer has a camera assigned to them and, and are required to wear it and to use it when they're out in the field in contact with the public. There are rare exceptions where we allow them to disengage the camera or turn it off. Um, that's all controlled and governed by policy. We've had zero issues with adherence to our policy um, and, and uh, zero complaints about privacy issues so far, at least today. Uh, and the cameras have worked out uh, totally beneficial for the, the profession, uh, for our agency, and for uh, the, the pursuit of criminal justice for victims of crime. I mean, it's just been very, very helpful.
3: I've been yeah. trying to get my staff to wear them, too, but <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Okay, so camp body cams, now yeah. that you've done.
4: Yep, and then so uh, most recently uh, we have a base radio system that uh, we do our own dispatching uh, in the police department and for a variety of reasons, um, and, and so um, our current base radio system uh, has really been on a Band-Aid fix for years. Um, we're, we subscribe to the Marks radio system in the state of Ohio, meaning we're on the 800 megahertz yes. uh, system that the state built out. and It is a multi-million dollar radio system, state-of-the-art, and we've been on that for a number of years. Uh, and It resolved a lot of our radio issues that we had trying to maintain our own system. Uh, but the base radio that we utilize was is really not purpose-built for that system, and it's well over 25 years old. I think we got it in the mid-90s. Um, it's starting to fail, and radio services informed us that you know they they can no longer get parts for it; that it' uh, it needs replaced uh, that's about a hundred and ten thousand dollar expense um, now if you amortize that over the next twenty five years yeah. it 's not that expensive on an annual basis but but it is a significant upfront cost well, uh... Um, just went uh, I expect that to be funded uh perhaps even this uh this Monday at council's meeting. Uh, and we're funding it through savings that we've uh, uh, been able to realize throughout the year in reducing our overtime budget and things like that, mostly because of the pandemic and, and our, our need to conserve money. But, uh, you know, we do have the money to fund this project, and it's absolutely needed. So uh, I, I think there will be a ton of support in council to get that funded, and I'd expect to be able to, to order that system soon. Yeah,
3: You mentioned that during your history of, of- – of this type of job, uh, you studied at Hawking College, yep. a- and um, I know a number of people that have. Uh, but there's other places too. But describe what the typical officer must do to even be able to apply for such a gig.
4: Well, uh, yeah. So, so really, um, we don't have a lot for the for the, the gatekeeping. Uh, process. We don't have a lot of requirements. You do have to be a, a high school graduate um, or equivalent. And
3: Now, gatekeeping, um, what do you mean?
4: Uh, as far as getting an officer through the door, a brand new officer through the door, we don't have, uh, for instance, we don't have a requirement that you have a college degree in order to get hired by our agency. We also don't have a requirement that you have previous experience or be a currently certified peace officer under the uh, by the state of Ohio's Ohio Peace Officer Certification Program, okay. um, so we don't require any of that. If you are a high school graduate, um, or if you are in the country on a work visa legally, and those kinds of things, you know, general labor law, um, you can apply uh, to take our test in order to compete to to, to, be, to get hired with our agency. Um, and then, if you don't have any of that training, we will essentially pay you to. Attend that training okay. and, and pay for the training. Uh, we certainly uh, are allowed by law and do uh, give preference to people who have college education and who have previous experience or uh, who are certified officers currently, because there is a tremendous cost savings to the city, uh, and also you know we we, we tend to like uh, officers with enhanced you know, secondary uh, education and college education because. Um, those officers tend to be um, more open-minded, more civic-minded, um, more community-oriented, and, mm. and, and certainly more self-aware and able to assess their own, uh, you know, emotional and uh, skills and personal skills, and and that's all of that goes into making of a, an excellent officer. Uh, that's something no. that we've been hyper-focused on for a number of years. Is Hiring people with strong emotional intelligence.
3: There's um, an event coming up in a couple nights um, that uh, isn't supposed to be. Um, and, and in in firefighting, um, mutual aid contracts come into play, where um, if if Athens is the principal place, it could be the plains or um, Rich, not Richland Avenue. Um, well, anyway, other fire departments can join in to help. Sure. Now, I assume police have that too, right?
4: Absolutely. Yep.
3: And so, where here we have this event that's happened for many years, Halloween, yeah, Court Street. Um, that has been um, asked to not occur this year. Yep. Um. To in the past you've had to have all sorts of mutual aid assistants come in and and get sworn in for twenty four hours or whatever it is and and help out um and generally, one local guy would go with one not so local guy right correct mm-hmm. right. now um i I would think you have to do that again this year, even though it's not supposed to occur and um but what if it does you know what 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 how what how are you being advised to handle this thing or or what are your what are the pieces of advice advice you're offering other parties
4: yeah so the, the the pandemic definitely has has thrown a wrench in the works the typical works um our, our plan is pretty representative of what we've done in the past with some scale to it uh to uh, to account for what we believe will be uh, what we've predicted to be potential numbers, we you know law enforcement always plans for worst case scenario, and then uh, you know we're always pleasantly surprised when that doesn't you know come to pass. And so uh, I would tell you we've done the same thing. We've we've planned for worst case scenario. We have contingencies in place that we ha- hope we do not have to use. Uh, there's, but, but I would say our plan is pretty. Representative of what we've done the last ten years with me as chief, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just we have scaled it uh, to to meet what we believe are pretty reasonable predictions.
3: So, if people spontaneously start to um, take over Court Street, yep. Um, what are you going to do?
4: Um, well, I'm gonna just—I'll say we have a contingency for that.
3: Okay. Yeah. Um, and at some point, if it's too big, do you give up or do you keep trying?
4: Hmm. Do I, I don't think that, that, um, uh, we would ever just throw our hands up on, yeah, on yeah. something. You okay. know, I, I would say give up's not in the vocabulary. I but didn't mean it that way. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a, you know, uh, which contingency plan do we want to, yeah. pull out and utilize
3: and now even it's not e- working
4: how do we adjust
3: in spite of halloween
4: yeah
3: um i have um of course i live in town i've driven by different uh, neighborhoods where porch parties were going and sure um they looked like a lot of fun um maybe 12 15 20 people yeah um that's that's also supposed to be a no-no right now, right? Correct. Yes, correct. And um, how do they receive you, folks, when you drive up and ask them to? Yeah, be, quite well actually. Be yeah, I
4: mean, uh, we've not had, uh, but maybe one, um, one, incident where the people at the party were resistant to our efforts mm-hmm. to to you know disperse the crowd. Um, and, and we dealt with that rather quickly. Um, but otherwise most people are, are, they, they, either genuinely weren't aware or they, they feign, you know, ignorance and, and say, "Oh, I didn't know. And then they end it. But by and large, it's, 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 you know, if we show up, they just end. And that's by, that's been the culture in, in our community Uh, since we started enforcing uh, more rigorously the uh, nuisance party ordinance back around 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you that I have been personally in uniform uh, during busy weekends where I would take a a, uh, large gathering or a nuisance party call myself, would, would show up, in uniform, one person and 500 people would just start spontaneously leaving the party by seeing a police officer approach. Mm-hmm. And that's the culture that we have now. The, the students have been, by and large, they they will party until a police officer shows up, and then they, they assume the drill will be that the party's been declared a nuisance and they must leave, and they just start doing it automatically. And it's quite nice to see it's significantly different than what we experienced uh the first 20 years of my career which was you know if we showed up at a party we'd get pelted with bottles and and you know beer bottles and cans and things like that and uh zero compliance and 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 that kind of thing and so uh I think we've done a good job shifting the culture and 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 so I expect that behavior this weekend quite frankly good yeah
3: the um uh, the, the the mounted patrol and some of these other interesting things that are also kind of neat to see um they serve a good purpose don't they
4: absolutely yeah the mounted patrols uh you know that that's developed um into something that uh, i don't think anybody could have predicted and their wildest imagination would have been as successful and being a public relations tool as well as a crowd control yes uh type of tool I, and um you know I have to recognize uh, lieutenant Randy Gray retired and lieutenant Ernie Annell retired uh for 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 developing that program and it was their brainchild and, and they brought it to fruition and it's it's morphed into one of the most respected programs in in multiple states and uh and um even though those two officers are retired, you know, we're we're trying to maintain the, the mounted program as best we can and uh with newer staff and, and whatnot and
3: let me let me bring that up because that's an interesting point. You know, I frankly had lost track that Ernie retired. Yes. Um but I've known him forever, uh and many of the others too. So um they do um continue to stand ready to come in if needed, right?
4: Well, Ernie has retired, retired as of uh, just this month, yeah. Uh, Ernie, I I think he was close to 50 years with the department, if I recall correctly. He had actually retired from full-time service, uh, I want to say early 2000 and or somewhere in that time frame, and then continued with the department as a reserve officer uh, up until just this month, and then... uh, uh, has has kind of retired again the second time, and then uh, Randy continues. Uh, Lieutenant Gray continues with the department uh-huh. as a reserve officer, and I, I honestly can't remember when he retired, but it was it was after 2012.
3: Do you have a system whereby community members can uh, assist you, folks?
4: Well, you know we used to, um, and and I can remember. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Earl Funk and yes. his legacy. And Earl was one of the people that you know, would every Halloween would would go around town and collect food for police officers who were working and 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 things like that. And we had it for the longest time a senior volunteer program uh, in the department. And then, uh, you know, I, I would say the United States has become a more litigious society than than in previous years, and the the liability with having people attached to uh, law enforcement in in any meaningful way became um, uh, I think it became a bigger hurdle than than most entities were willing to I see uh, to to jump and and certainly it it, you know there were insurance premium considerations and concerns with safety and and lawsuits and things like that and so a lot of the volunteer programs have gone by the wayside And, and so we do it in a our reserve program is a much more formal program than a volunteer program. I mean, when we hire somebody as a part-time officer, they're re- required to go through the rigorous, same rigorous training and and meet all the expectations of a full-time officer. Really, the only difference is is uh, they don't do a competitive test uh, because it's a part-time is not a civil service protected position, and and then they. Uh, They simply just don't work 40 hours a week. They work up to 20 hours a week. Um, And we've actually had to put that program on, like, literally a reserve status uh, with the pandemic. For One, for cost savings, and two, for to keep a ready reserve of people who aren't commingled with our full-time staff. So if we do experience a a large um, infection of COVID in the department where, let's say, Half or three quarters of the officers are exposed and in, in quarantine. We could pull in the reserve force on a moment's notice and and still maintain police coverage in the city. So uh, that's been odd to not see those folks around on a regular basis, and quite frankly, we miss them all. So,
3: so you know, Bob Troxel um, had had an interest in fishing, and sure. uh, had a. Boat up in in uh, Lake Erie and so on, and once he retired, he became a full charter boat to, um, fishing organization up there. Uh, what's what's Tom Pyle have in mind?
4: Well, <laughs> uh, a number of things. You, you, I, I know my wife is probably listening right now. I I oh, want her to answer the question <laughs> for
3: you. Hang on just a minute. I'll turn her off. Okay, she can't hear now.
4: So she and I uh, started backpacking about five or six years ago. Um, We both got in shape and and started doing some pretty significant uh, backpacking trips, and I would say there's more of that. Uh, Just last year we hiked 280 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail in the the Sierra Nevada Mountains, the section of trails called the John Muir Trail. Mm -hmm. Um, We just backpacked that. It took us about three and a half weeks, and and we just absolutely love that. And so I think our long-term plan is is we want to buy a travel trailer and probably a new pickup truck to haul it and and spend some time just driving around to different significant hikes and and setting up camp, going on day hikes or week-long hikes and returning back to the trailer and moving on to the next location. Our kids, uh, you know, we have adult children and and grandchildren, and they live uh, as far away as Washington State right now, and we'll probably spend some time visiting uh, kids. And then just recently I got back into playing golf after a 20-year hiatus, and I've been really enjoying that. And so I could see me throwing the clubs along yeah. with the backpacks and the and the camper trailer and, yeah. and heading out somewhere for some nice golf courses. So.
3: Sounds nice. Well, listen, yeah. um, if there's um, – are we still together here? Yep. Okay. I heard a noise of some kind. Um, Tom, thanks very much for what you do. Um, good luck this weekend. I know it will be difficult. Um, I, I, I just appreciate what all you do, folks do.
4: I Thank you. Thank you very much, Dave.
3: Okay. We'll um, catch you down the road, I guess. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. Um, uh, so, Chief Tom Pyle, Athens City Police Chief. Scott, I don't know why I didn't have your mic on that whole period. You may have had a question, and I didn't wasn't paying attention.
5: Oh uh, well, that, that, that's okay. I was uh, just listening in and kind of, you know, thinking along the same lines as you about, you know, the anticipating. Whoops, uh, anticipating this weekend. That was my water bottle, oh, by the okay. way, with that's the fine. lid on. Okay. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, they can't, and they're not going to reveal what's going on, but they have their contingency plans, and uh, my guess is that contingency plan, and I hope I'm wrong, but that contingency plan may have to uh, go into effect at some point. Uh, if folks are coming to town and not sure what the structure is, even though there is nothing planned, everything's canceled, but uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they don't need to do that. So we just hope for the best for the city and obviously uh, the first responders there. And You know, like you said, we just appreciate what they do.
3: Well, with that said, um, I think we have time to actually. Oh, you couldn't wait, could you? <laughs> it's not that I couldn't wait. It's just that uh, I do get requests for this, much to my um, dismay. The Coach Art Turf Show. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, uh, imagine that. Yeah. Let's see. What am I doing wrong?
5: you got to go down and click where it starts, where the Isn't intro is. It? Yep, right there. Click I've, it. I've clicked it three times. Well, we must have a see freeze there somewhere. Four times. Let's see what we can do here. Uh
2: 4 Tech Two Four Six Eight. Who do we appreciate? Oysters, oysters, raw, raw, raw. Talking Coach Turf. While we're talking about quarterbacks, any other quarterback terminology originate yes. here?
6: That's right. You know that takes me back to 1959. Uh, I remember we had a boy named of Benson Benedict Benson playing quarterback for us. He was the world's first scrambler. It wasn't that boy that played for the Vikings. Uh, his name was... Uh,
2: Fran uh, Tarkington.
6: That's right, but he went to first scrambler with Benedict Benson, because he liked to fix breakfast for all the boys on game day, uh, uh, scramble eggs for everybody, and when he'd do, he have eggs left over, and he'd stick them in his football pants, and when he'd get down there on the football field, he didn't want to get tackled with eggs in his britches, so he'd run around avoiding everybody, and that's why they call him a scrambler. And that kind of makes you wonder, because if he liked like to fix poached eggs for everybody, if they didn't call everybody poachers.
3: Okay. And this is brought to you by, um, oh, Hugh White uh, Auto Dealers, right? But uh, the thing was, that was the second segment. Here's the first.
2: Talking with Coach Art Turf here at Midweek. Coach, this wouldn't uh, happen to be one of your favorite uh, parts of our radio series, would it, this program?
6: Well, that's right, you know, right here in the middle of the week, this is uh, too late to go back over the games that have already been played and too early to think about what games coming up this weekend. This is what you call your midweek program. This is where I like to talk about all the legends and the lore that NF Tech football has given to the history of football in this great game of ours.
2: It is amazing how many of the football terms we hear every week on radio and television actually developed right here at inept tech
6: not only that this is where they got their start and we are real pleased that we could get this program on there and let all the fine fans know what a fine program we got
2: one of the terms that we hear quite often the hail mary pass and I didn't really realize until we were talking before the program that that uh, actually originated right here
6: well not only that this is where it got its start too. you know a lot of folks is probably under the mistaken idea that uh, that feller that uh, played quarterback for uh, Dallas Cowboys. Uh,
2: Roger uh, Staubach.
6: That's him. That's the fella Or, or that boy that uh, played over to Boston College. If Doug
2: uh, footy
6: Yeah, that's him. They probably think that them boys, because uh, they throwed so many of them Hail Mary passes, they probably thought that they got their start uh, over, over there. But no, 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 no. Got, got to start right here at NAP Tech uh, back in 1967. We had a boy named uh, Hale, Hambone Hale, playing quarterback that time. And, and he was getting on close to homecoming and, uh and uh, we was getting ready to play cinema state and uh, and Hambone was supposed to get married right after the ball game And the ball game was running a little bit long and and he decided he took upon himself right there at the last play of the ball game that It was time for him to get to the church and he better get there on time So he snapped the ball faded back to pass and let one go into the end zone And as soon as he let it go He took off the other direction into the clubhouse so he could get to the church on time and dogged, If that ball didn't get caught in the end zone for a touchdown only a touchdown we scored that day so uh, From here on in, anybody that fades back to pass and throws one long and deep at the end of the ballgame and gets caught for a touchdown, that's called a Hail Mary pass. But that's only because Hambone Hale threw it so he could go off and get married. And I'll be
2: back with Coach Turf right after this message. listening again, sports fans, for the next thrill-packed interview with the head coach of the Fighting Oysters of Inept Tech, the coaching legend in his own mind, the one and only Coach Art (laughs) Turf.
3: Okay. Uh, Folks, we hope you enjoyed it. Um,
5: That's kind of interesting. It went backwards anyway, because some of that stuff that coach turf talks about it's a little backwards
3: it's (laughs) like you know they bring out a point and then he brings it out again yep it's just rolls right into it it's almost like the real thing (laughs) you know like coaches
5: that's how some of them do like i said reminds me of a couple of
3: them (laughs) okay well folks have a wonderful day out there deal with the
2: rain please tomorrow
3: should be much nicer
2: Take care. In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM
1: 970 and
0: 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-E-V-E-N-S.
1: This is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Rocket Mortgage.
0: I'm Debra Rodriguez. The economy grew by leaps and bounds in the third quarter. GDP shot up 33.1%. Bank rates Mark Hamrick.
2: The rise occurs off the base of a smaller economy after the historic Q2 contraction. And there's a high level of uncertainty associated with growth in the current quarter, including the risk that consumers decide to spend more time in their homes and less money out and about in the coming weeks to avoid the virus.
0: Another 751,000 Americans signed up for unemployment benefits last week. Economist Joel Naroff.
1: Slowly but steadily the labor market continues to improve. New claims for unemployment insurance was below 800,000 for the second week in a row. While the number remains way too high, at least we are showing some progress after weeks of being stuck at higher level.
0: In early trading, the Dow is up 16 points. Both presidential candidates will try to round up voters in the swing state of Florida five days ahead of the election. Both will make stops in Tampa today. Their themes will sound familiar. CBS's Skyler Henry.
6: President Trump held two campaign stops in Arizona Wednesday to court Latino voters. The American dream plan will bring more than two million new jobs. The former vice president spent the day in Wilmington, Delaware, where he voted early and publicly sparred with the president over the coronavirus pandemic.
2: We've lost more than 220,000 lives of this virus already. But this administration is just given up.
0: The cleanup is underway in New Orleans a day after the seventh hurricane of the season swept through there. St. Bernard Parish President Guy McGinnis. We
4: took it on the chin here with, with Zeta. I, I, I think it's going to be worse than what we expected. A lot of power um, lines down and trees down.
0: More than a million customers along the Gulf Coast have no power. Zeta is blamed for at least three deaths. Among them, a man in Cherokee County, Georgia, who was killed when a large oak tree was uprooted and fell through his mobile home. The system has been downgraded to a tropical storm about to move up through the mid-Atlantic states. There are new details about a deadly knife attack at a church in Nice, France today. CBS's Elaine Cobb from Paris. The attack took place in a city center church. One of those killed is believed to have been the church warden. Another was a woman who managed to flee the scene and take refuge in a local bar, but she died there from her wounds. Police say the attacker yelled, "Allahu akbar The Dow is now up. Five points. Toy sales are up 18% this year. CBS's Maria Garcia. (laughs) Play-Doh with new brighter colors. Old school toys like Play-Doh, Legos, and Tonka trucks are back and bigger than ever. Since the pandemic, parents are turning off smartphones and video games and breaking out the fun. This is CBS News.
1: Presented by Rocket Mortgage. Need to know what it takes for a home loan to fit your budget and your family? Rocket can. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. Fatigue and exhaustion. This is Dave Ross on the CBS News Radio Network. In this country, there is a fatigue of COVID. But it's not just COVID fatigue.
3: There are a lot of voters who are exhausted by what they call the Trump show.
1: I was talking with a speech therapist in West Virginia, I happen to know, who works with preschoolers. And one of her house calls brought her to a home with a Trump sign in the front yard. She goes in with a mask as required. Mom says, you don't have to wear the mask. Therapist explains she's required to and proceeds with a visit, no problem. Then on the next visit, the following week, the therapist walks in. And this time the mom says, would you feel better if I wore a mask? And I heard that story and I said, look how easy that was. That's how it's supposed to work. All of us are sick and tired, but a little courtesy on each side and nobody's mic need be cut off. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed delivers quality candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who's a good fit. Claim your $75 credit for your first post at Indeed.com slash credit.